What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome listeners to the Humane Podcast, where we're going to deep dive today into all things data and data insights with Ben Zweig, who is the CEO and founder of Revilio Labs. Today's episode features Ben, who not only is a startup founder, but he's also an adjunct professor at NYU Stern in New York City. I've had the great chance and pleasure to meet Ben over the past year, learning more about his startup, participating during his capital raise, and hearing about all the great insights that he and his team share with their insights about the workforce and the future of work. Ben, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, David. Sounds good. Well, I'm really excited to learn not only about what you've done and how we've participated together, but let's rewind for our audience. Can you share a little bit about your career and what brought you to today? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I started my career in in academia. I was doing a PhD in economics and really specialized in labor economics. So I was always very interested in in labor data and uh, understanding occupational dynamics, social mobility, things like that. And then really my first job was, was as a data scientist. This was very early on at a hedge fund in New York. It was an emerging markets hedge fund. I started that in 2012. And that was, that was kind of interesting. I was like the lone data scientist on the desk. So that was kind of interesting. And then went to work at IBM in their internal data science team. It was called the Chief Analytics Office. And there uh, started working on all sorts of projects related to workforce analytics and workforce optimization. Um, so that was really interesting. And you know, kind of kind of merge these two worlds of data science and labor economics, which I was really passionate about. And that's really where where my co-founder and I started getting the getting the idea behind Revelio Labs, which is um, really to create a universal HR database and, um, you know, help companies improve their performance and, and investors understand companies more deeply. So that was that was kind of the the impetus behind what, what we're doing now. So we started Revelio Labs in um, in 2019, early 2019, and uh, it's been an exciting ride. 
Now, I think it's so fascinating, this whole field of workforce analytics. Myself, uh, one of the early companies I worked with was ADP, and I worked in the PEO division with payroll and, and looking and seeing how that impacted jobs and, and the creation and the movement of workforces. So I'm really passionate about what you and your team are doing. As you've been scaling up the company in the last few years, what are some of the insights that you've uncovered that you think is really fascinating that you enjoy uh, seeing in the market or you've discovered? Yeah, it's an interesting time to be analyzing this because everyone everyone cares about labor dynamics these days, especially with COVID and the great resignation. So this is such a such a big topic. But I think I think what we're finding interesting is actually fundamentally basic things that are that are not known about a company. So even just, you know, how many employees do they have across um across occupations? You know, how many engineers does this company have? How many salespeople? How is that changing? What's their attrition rate of key roles? What's their hiring rate of key roles? How much are companies paying? You know, you can really you can really get a very deep view of what's happening within a company just by tracking their their talent dynamics. So, you know, one one um one analogy I, I really like, you know, especially for, for investment management when they're looking to understand companies is like, let's say you're buying a car and you, you take it to the mechanic to see if it's healthy, right? Imagine if that mechanic could only look at the speedometer. It would be ridiculous, right? You want the mechanic to actually look under the hood, look at the engine. And that's sort of what we think we're, we're enabling. So investment management today is mostly, you know, people spend a lot of time looking at indicators of performance, uh, financial metrics. And I think what we want to enable is, is a much deeper view, a view under the hood of companies. And that is people, you know, the engine of a company, the engine of every company is, is the talent. So that's, um, that's kind of what we, what we want to look at. And we're really just scratching the surface now, but there's so many, there's so many kind of interesting insights about, you know, where people are coming from when they get hired, where people uh, leave when they quit, you know, how satisfied the employees are. I mean, it's really endless. There's countless, um, possibilities of how this data can be analyzed. Now, Ben, you mentioned uh, the big topic that I think many of our listeners have seen not only on uh, LinkedIn Insights, but also throughout the news, this great resignation. And this is something that I think certain economists did see coming that when the pandemic was going to end, that a lot of people, you know, were just really uh, needing to take a break. And that's what's led to this great resignation of a lot of talent, both technical and non-technical, departing in masses from their jobs. And this is across the generations. We're seeing this from the Gen Zs all the way through the boomers. And what have you uncovered around the great resignation? Or how do you think that will impact technical hiring and pipelines for companies? Yeah, yeah. So, it's a really fascinating phenomenon. I don't think we've ever seen something like this in our lifetimes, but I think it's it's exciting that that workers are empowered more than they have been. But what we're really trying to uncover is the heterogeneity across different subgroups of employees. So we know that attrition rates are higher, quits are higher, people are leaving the the labor force, people are hopping onto new jobs much more than they have been, but that's not true across all occupational groups. It's not true across all geographies. So we're really trying to find out where, where those shortages and where that wage pressure is highest. And it's typically more among blue collar workers, which um, we, we, we had a, a paper that came out jointly with, with Barclays Equity Research, where we developed some, some trading strategies based on that phenomenon. So that was, that was kind of interesting, but even just, just in, um, 
in my personal anecdotal experience, you know, we're, we're seeing it um, for high skilled workers too. So it, we're, we're trying to hire quite a lot and we've, um, you know, data scientists, software engineers, data engineers, economists, and it's, it's really tough. I mean, it's a, it's hard to find good people and salaries are getting higher and higher. So it, there's definitely pressure on the employer side. And a lot of that pressure we're seeing here on the tail end of 2021, though, I am excited for where we're going to go in 2022. Personally, as well, you know, what I've seen working for multiple startups is that technical hiring and non-technical hiring has been very hard to fill during much of the pandemic because everything went remote and distributed. But now with this return to the hybrid workforce and for many to in-person, there does present that opportunity that there are a lot of openings uh, for careers and for job seekers. That could be promising, especially if you're searching now for a new career path. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think the the workers that were really most hard hit from remote work are really junior employees. I think they they're just getting started. They need, they need that mentorship. And it's much harder to feel like you're developing and learning from others uh, in a remote environment. But I think as we're sort of going back, you know, the more senior positions, I think we'll probably not have that same benefit as junior employees of going back to the office. And that's really because so much of so much of uh, the day-to-day for more management positions are on Zoom. And if you're on Zoom meetings all day at home, that's one thing. But if you're on Zoom meetings all day from the office, that's kind of the worst of both worlds. So it, that's probably not going away anytime soon. So it makes me a little bit um, cautiously optimistic. I'm more optimistic for for more junior employees and more pessimistic, I guess, on uh, on what that means for for management roles. Now, talking about the future of work and the future of cities, I know we're both in the greater, the New York City area, the greatest city in the world, and New York is uh, up and coming again, right? We've seen in the last few labor reports that building occupancies are up to a little bit north of 28%, which um, sounds like not that much, but at the at the height of the pandemic, it was down to only about 10%, right? So we're, we're getting back up there. We're almost to a third occupancy. Are you seeing any insights for those trends going into 2022 into the 30s, 40s, or 60%? So New York has had a spectacular recovery. I think earlier on, there was a lot of movement from tech hubs to Texas, Florida. You know, that was a big trend. That's something that that we've seen a lot of. That has slowed recently. And I, I think, yeah, I think that that phenomenon will probably slow down. But yeah, we we've seen a lot of this return to New York City. Yeah, it's um I don't know exactly. Yeah, we don't have any like additional insight on that. Like I, I don't know if we have a specific forecast, mm. but it seems like a positive trend. Right. And beyond these trends and the data that we're seeing, you're also now uh, running a new course at NYU Stern called The Future of Work. I'm so fascinated by this because everyone's been talking about the future of work for the past two decades. COVID happens, future of work's here, it's here now. And now you got this new course. Can you share with us what is the future of work in the classroom? Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I've been... Um... I've been trying to push this class for a few years, but didn't quite brand it properly. So 
I'd been teaching classes uh, in data science and econometrics for a while, and you know, trying to trying to transition to something a little bit more related to labor economics and human capital. So I'd been proposing classes around the economics of human capital and things like that, and there wasn't really tremendous amount of interest. But then, you know, had this moment where I was like, oh, maybe it should be called the future of work. And then, you know, the next day it was just like, okay, the dean's excited. Everyone's like, everyone wants to make this course happen. So it's a little bit of a a branding trick. But I think um, I'm I'm really excited about how it will go because, because there is so much interest in it. So the way we're organizing it is is basically the first uh, chunk of it will be around the foundations of of the labor market. You know, what are, what are occupations? How do we assess activities and skills and think through kind of, you know, the dynamics of employment and contract labor and, and hiring all all the, all the kind of like foundations of the labor market. And then really, really using those foundations to understand the hot topics of the day. So automation, remote work, the gig economy, kind of getting into these um, more topical areas and then in the last chunk, you know, thinking through what are the applications for businesses, for for workers, for governments, for entrepreneurs. Um, so I think thinking through the applications is also a really exciting part of it. One area from the syllabus I'd like to highlight on, and perhaps you can tease for the audience some of that, which is around the gig economy. And the gig economy has been continuing to grow in the last few years, of course, without so much as some controversy as we've seen in California with uh, some of the companies like Lyft and Uber and DoorDash who've had different opinions on classification of gig versus not gig or you know a lot of tech companies do we go gig plus plus everything go gig everything go freelance there's been a lot of opinions a lot of knowledge a lot of thoughts around this what's the take that you're seeing or whether some of the insights you've uncovered around the gig economy yeah so you know, one one phenomenon that we see quite a lot is that companies have a huge contingent workforce that is not reported on their financial statements. So, for example, you know, I mentioned I used to run this workforce analytics team at IBM, and at IBM we had three hundred thirty thousand employees. That was like the number that's in their HR database. But you go to their LinkedIn page, and it looks like five hundred fifty thousand people say they work at IBM. So. What's going on here? Why are there so many more people that that claim to work at a company than the company claims to work there? And that, of course, is just a sample. Only only a sample of people actually have online profiles. So the the real situation is that a huge fraction of their of their workforce is contingent labor. In some cases, up to two thirds. So that, in some ways, is kind of just a legal artifact. It doesn't really matter when you're assessing a company's workforce who's classified as a W-2 employee and who's classified as a contingent worker. So I think there's real limitations into how companies categorize their own workforce. And that creates for all sorts of incentive misalignment. Companies really only need to report their diversity metrics on their official employees. So that can um, lead to some, some greenwashing. They only need to report geographic distributions based on their official employees. So that might lead them to kind of understate the extent to which they're offshoring. So you really don't get an accurate view of a company's workforce from just looking at their official employees. And companies do have incentives to expand uh, to contingent workers and also gig workers, also freelancers. 
And that is just, it's kind of like the shadow workforce in a way, because they are not required to disclose that information. So I think that that worries me, you know, just from an accounting perspective. So, you know, it's, it's just unknown and in some ways unknowable. So we're trying to kind of back into that as much as possible. And I think, I think what, what, we're, what we're seeing more of, but it's a little hard to say whether this is a real trend, is that companies will expand more geographically. I think it's kind of you know, up in the air whether this latest COVID crisis will cause more globalization or more, or more nationalism. So I think we're, we're kind of hoping that this creates a more integrated labor market across geographies. And the freelance economy is is very global, so I think we're we're hoping that that expands, and it has been expanding, but it's a little too soon to tell, you know, whether whether this will persist. Right, because I think it depends where in the economy you look at. I, I think some of the early signals when we look at startups, right, companies that are raising pre-seed, seeds, Series A, no longer do they need to be co-located in one city like New York City or Boston, but you could have a distributed team different cities in the United States, different cities in both the United States and Europe, and even Asia and South America and Africa continental. So that expansion's continuing because talent is global and uh, a distributed team could work from anywhere, which I think is really fascinating. And we've seen that with some of our portfolio companies as well, both through DataFrame and DataPower, uh, where that movement is happening. Have you particularly seen more of that shift happening quicker with startups being the innovation versus the big uh, IBMs of the world, which actually already are global, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So we didn't really segment this by startup or established companies, but we're certainly seeing this pressure in tech. So within tech, there's significant wage pressure, uh, like wages are converging across, um, you know, kind of the more productive high wage cities and the lower wage cities. So that gap has been shrinking quite a lot uh, in the past year or so. I think that's so fascinating. And and so we'll continue to see where that occurs, especially as, as the world continues to open up and we move back into this, this hybrid uh, modality that, that we're at. Let's change gears of the conversation to Revilio Labs. You're the founder and CEO of Revilio Labs, focusing on workforce intelligence uh, in New York City and uh, earlier uh, this year, you had a raised round of capital. Can you tell us about your company being venture-backed and what you're doing to continue to scale the workforce intelligence? Yeah, so it's it's been very exciting. And, and being venture-backed has really allowed us to grow very rapidly. Um, so I'll put in a, a shameless plug. You know, if you're a talented data scientist or data engineer or economist, you know, give us a call because we're, we're looking. But yeah, basically the, the foundation of, of Rebellion Labs is to create a ubiquitous source of workforce intelligence. We sometimes model ourselves a little bit after Bloomberg and companies like that who have created a ubiquitous source of financial intelligence. And you know, if anyone's looking for financial data, they, they know they can find it from Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters, FactSet, S&P. And these are enormous companies. But when it comes to human capital data um, and employment data, that really does not exist. It's not even really close to that. There's so much data that's siloed in internal HR databases, which, like I mentioned before, really only include a fraction of the overall workforce of a company. But what's cool about this is that when an employee is stored in an HR database, that information is mirrored in the public domain. So, you know, 
you or I might might be employed by a company and we're in that company's HR database, but we also report that information on our resume or LinkedIn profile or something like that. So there's a tremendous amount of information out there on on profiles, on individuals' career paths and jobs and skills and how they how they describe their jobs. So that's just an incredibly rich database that we're continuously you know collecting and updating. There's also job listings, which can be a great proxy for the demand for labor. You can also get salaries from job postings, which is really um, very rich and changes every day. Um, so you can see kind of day to day what's happening with wages. There's also sentiment out there. So, you know, sites that, that track employee reviews. Uh, there's also layoff notices. There's an act in the, in the U.S. called the WARN Act, stands for Worker Advanced Retraining Notification. So companies have to report layoffs 60 days in advance. There's immigration filings. There's so much data out there. And, and what we're doing, we're, we're kind of bringing it all together into one place and we're constructing this universal HR database. But, you know, the challenges there are, are pretty enormous. On the one hand, it's, it's a huge set of data. There's tens of terabytes of data that come in every month. And also there, there's just problems with the data in its, in its rawest form. So first of all, people, um, you know, use job titles and seniority levels that are completely idiosyncratic. So different companies have different conventions for occupations and seniority levels. So we really have to create a taxonomy that updates, that, that changes with an evolving occupational landscape and a changing economy. Um, we also really need to infer the activities that people do because those are the building blocks of a job. All a job is, is a bundle of activities. So we really need to understand that. We need to understand that when one person says lawyer and another person says attorney, those are probably the same occupation. But when one person says product manager in Facebook versus a product manager at JP Morgan, those might be totally different occupations. So we really need to do all that natural language processing to, to categorize this data properly. Um, you know, we're also creating enrichments and new features, predicting salaries and models of prestige and suitability to remote work, things like that. Uh, but we're also removing biases in the underlying data. So there's sampling bias. Not everyone's got an online profile. There's also lags in when people report a transition. So we really like the data to be point in time. That's really important for a lot of a lot of end users. So we need to produce a nowcast, uh, basically predicting what will be retroactively revealed, since a lot of updates don't don't get reported immediately. So there's just a tremendous amount of challenges to make the data usable, and and that's that's what we're doing. You know, somebody's got to do it. So so we're we're trying to tackle those hard problems, and it's fun. And from where uh, you and the team of Revelio Labs have been, you're growing, you're, you're scaling in the data science and data engineer arena. So there's a massive amounts of these databases and data sets that you're seeing each day. What's to come? Uh, can you share with us a little bit about the product roadmap that your team's building out or you're getting requests from your clients that are saying, we want to see more of this? Yeah. So first of all, in the alternative data market, which we've been playing in, there's really a, a pretty wide distribution of sophistication. So there are there are some clients who just want a data feed. You know, they, they just say, okay, we're fine. Just give me, you know, terabytes of data every every week or every month, and we'll just like have fun with it and talk to you never. So that that that's one set of clients. But then there are others that that really, you know maybe don't have teams of data scientists or data analysts to, um, to explore this on their own. So they, they're really looking for a little bit more insight. So a little bit more of that curation on our end. And, and so what we've done there is we've created a dashboard. 
And this dashboard is really popular now. So it's uh, it's it's just an easy way to navigate with with this complex set of data and get insights really quickly. So we we built a few new features recently. Typically, we have just tracking the workforce dynamics. You know, you might want to uh, you know compare the the composition of companies today for a set of companies. There's also um, being able to track those changes over time. Like let's say the share of the company that is, um, you know, that has skills in TensorFlow. You know that that might be a useful metric. Also tracking transitions. You know where do people come from? Where do they go? That is a very popular feature. We also recently uh, put together a screener, which is very useful for private equity firms who are looking to source new deals. And for for us, I think we're we're lucky in that the data set is not specific to public companies, private companies. Um, big, small, doesn't really matter. As long as the company's got employees, that's part of the database. So being able to source companies through a screener is really, can be very powerful for, for certain clients. And then for HR also, we, we have a talent acquisition tool. So you can discover new pools of talent and also be able to um, use uh, the taxonomy that we've created. So you can navigate the job titles that are similar, the skills that are similar, the activities, and be able to, um, you know, be be able to impose a lot of structure on data that they might even have internally. So all of those things have been are kind of new and getting getting some traction. It's 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 a very new product, but it's really starting to starting to take shape. And we're always we're always changing it. You know, every new client gives us something that we can learn from. This is all very exciting, and can't wait to see more of that uh, in the product that you and the team are building at Revilio Labs. And if we're doing one more forward-looking insight for the audience, are there any trends or or items that we should be seeing as signals for the future of work that uh, should be on our radar for the next uh, year into 2022 and beyond? It's a great question. We do weekly newsletters where we try to report on on some of the interesting things we we see in the data. So we have we have a team of economists who who work on some of these newsletters, and very often. Um, We'll collaborate with, you know, Bloomberg or Business Insider or, or some some media publication to, um, to kind of get these insights out there. We've done a piece recently. Let me check out if there's if there's any uh, that we did most recently. We did we did one last week on the future of the future of work. So you know what are the HR tech companies that are that are really dominating, and you know then it gets even specific. You know who's uh, who's dominating the self driving car market. You know how do benefits. Um, Help retention of women in the in the workforce. That's something that that we've seen some changes in the past couple of years. We did a piece that that I really liked, which was tracking the rise and fall of hustle culture. That's something we could see. You know, people you know having side hustles that's been declining dramatically, which we thought was was really pretty fascinating. So, you know, on our site you can check out you know revelialabs.com/news and. Um, and, you know, we, we really like doing these. It's generally really short. It's like a paragraph and a couple of charts, but it's always data driven and it's always something non-obvious uh, that we like to share. Well, looking forward to more of these insights and trends and all of that today and moving forward on Humane Podcast. Thank you to Ben Zweig, the CEO of Revilio Labs and adjunct professor at NYU Stern. Ben, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, David. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. 
Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.